Welcome to the Mouse and Castle. This is a gathering place for fans of all things Disney. So sit back, chow down, have some sips, and chit-chat about the magical world created by Walt Disney. Just uh, watched an hour and a half Disney documentary this morning. <clears throat> About what? It was the new Defunct Land video. Oh, it's his. Uh, have you seen any of his stuff, or have you heard of him? Uh, I think I watched his video on like that one. Was it like Treasure Island or whatever island thing they had? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I think I watched that one. This was by far his best one yet, and it started with a really simple premise, which was <coughs> who wrote the Dis- the original Disney Channel theme. Um, okay. Which I don't, generationally, I don't know you. Did you watch any Disney Channel? It would have been, I guess, you would have had to have seen the late nineties early version of it if you or maybe early 2000s i don't know generationally i don't know if you would have ever seen any of the disney channel stuff i think it was kind of i think when disney channel was really popular it was a little past my like i was a little too old for it yeah so i don't have i mean i i was aware of it and i know some of the stuff that kind of was going on at that time like what shows were popular and all that but and some of the characters but i never watched any of the shows yeah that's fair I've only ever seen like clips and stuff. I think like trying to think of what that would have even been back then. <laughs> yeah, because the the early the renaissance it, it started. And I'm just like repeating the video, but which you should definitely watch because it sort of chronicles a part of history that I never knew. Because I had I had uh, younger cousins that watched all the time, so I was actually sort of aware and watched some Disney Channel in its sort of prime 2006, seven, eight, nine era. Mm-hmm. Um, high school musical being like the big it's big hit you know ah, okay um, yeah so that that's what I knew it from but it was this really interesting exploration into like some of the original creatives who were trying to f- come up with something that Disney could compete with Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon who dominated the space for young kids uh, uh-huh. for like all of the 90s and they did it very successfully so I'm, I was fascinated by like as they were trying to figure out how to come up with content. Of course, the main premise was it's a mystery. They don't know who wrote the jingle, the famous, you know, and you're watching Disney Channel, da, da, yeah. da, da, like that one. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. so, of course, he poses a, an intriguing question and goes on this. Uh, it's an hour and a half video. <laughs> it's like a no kidding. Uh, it should be on Netflix, though. It's really well done. <laughs> yeah, um, no, I definitely... Yeah, that that does sound interesting because I do have memories of it. But I think part of it too was we didn't have cable growing mm-hmm. up. Yeah, and so most of my Disney memories from watching television growing up was anything that came on network TV. So it's mm-hmm. like the yeah the Disney afternoons and stuff. Yep, know? yep, yeah. That's yeah. same, same, same. Yeah, because so, this was all like yeah. when we go to my my grandmother's over Christmas every year. There'd always be like a post-Christmas trip over New Year's to grandmothers, and that's where all the cousins would come, and they were all into Disney Channel, so that it would be nothing but like Disney Channel movies uh, for like three or four years, and that was my rare exposure into mainstream popular culture. Uh, I will say I did go back recently, yeah, 
and watch the first two High School Musical movies. No way. Because so it's kind of a TikTok. Mm. I will blame TikTok yes. because you know how TikTok will revitalize, you know, mm. clips from something or a, oh, a, yeah. a movie like a, a like a voiceover that I don't even know where it's from, but like people are doing TikToks of, of voiceovers or a clip from a song, and so there was this TikTok going around where it was like what what it would be would be like a girl saying. I gotta go my own way, uh, and then like, what about us? What about everything? You know, like that. And so like, uh-huh. and it, she, in the character, and she would change. So like, when she's doing the guy's part, she'd have like, yeah, she'd, like quick draw a mustache on herself, and then she'd switch back to the girl. Mm. And she'd do so very, it was like a really very sp- TikToky. Yes, and I found it very entertaining, and I was like, what is this song? It's so catchy. And so, of course, I look it up. It's from High School Musical 2, I think. Yeah. Um, well, and so and then I was like, well, I've never seen these movies. And then my son is getting to an age where he might find them entertaining. So I was like, hey, let's check out the High School Musical movies. And mm-hmm. we did like a little mini marathon one night. No way. Watch the first and watch the first two. I, I, I think love- he fell asleep at some point, but I watched both of them. And then we watched some dumb mm-hmm. Disney movie that was also about surfing because there was another TikTok <laughs> video that popped up. So I was like, it's- my education of Disney you know, that like mm. old Disney stuff is now becoming through TikTok, which yep. is yep. bizarre, like the, the pathways this stuff takes. Well, and what's <clears throat> so crazy to me, and I guess congratulations, by the way, the podcast has started because I, I, I this is way too good not to keep in. Um, the, the crazy thing about what the Defunct Land video talks about is that the original visionaries for Disney Channel was we want something creative, magical, take something that, that we know Disney's good at. And just be unapologetically, stereotypically poppy, fun, and like catchy. You know, you say catchy. And that's really what they did because it started with like the little branding and the jingle. And they talk about like all these unknown composers and creatives that you never heard of that have worked at Disney like 20 years ago and have long since moved on in their lives. And this guy finds and talks to him about the, the birth of this thing that became a big like cultural. Like by the, the high school musical premiere on Disney Channel was the most watched cable television premiere of all time at the time. It it beat any uh, uh, sporting events. It beat the previous record holder, which was the Ross Perot, Larry King, uh, and uh, Al Gore NAFTA debate. True story. That was the previous record holder, um, <laughs> but it because and the reason was because they 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 were unapologetically poppy and they didn't have to like be aggressive like. <clears throat> Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon were, and by counter programming to that, they they gave the birth to the Disney Channel personality, which is a thing that they envisioned. It was a very intentional thing, and that's where the Hillary Duff and then Selena Gomez and Shia LaBeouf and uh, then you know later Demi Lovato and, and and like all these people who, by the way, became giant superstars singing unapologetically pop music. Um, and then even now, it, that that sort of leftover personality of of Disney, at least the Disney Channel flavor of Disney, lives on in TikTok, and it's just this weird thing that recording just like, in progress. It, <laughs> it is. It is this weird thing where they uh, it, it just carries on through the generations. And he he finds a uh, slight spoiler. I'll let you watch the video, but he finds the guy who originally composed it. And he has a really interesting like personal story about his his life work as an unheard of composer that has done a lot of work but that nobody's ever heard before and so he gets to like spotlight because he the guy never wanted to be in the spotlight there are hardly any pictures or anything of him he just lived as a working kind of composer musician 
and compose this jingle that, you know, millions of generations of kids have heard. Um, and like, yeah, now I've got the dun, 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 stuck in my head. Uh, and there you go. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny how this stuff gets a second life. Yeah. Especially now. Because, you know, we talk about, you know, you and I have talked a lot about Star Wars because that's another love of ours. And yeah. the prequels have gone a, recently gone through a new like revitalization or kind of a new appreciation. Yeah, a new one. Prequels. Yeah, because the kids that grew up loving it, that weren't jaded, you know, are now adults. Yeah, right? yeah. You're you're that generation, and so now suddenly people are like, oh yeah, I love Jar Jar Binks. You yeah. Know, where what's funny is I'm at the I'm now at the top end of that generation because I'm 31. And so, like, the folks who are young, young kids, because I was nine when The Phantom Menace came out, like, the, the kids who are, like, five or six or seven when Revenge of the Sith came out, they're now on TikTok. Uh, and now they're all into the Clone Wars. But, <laughs> yeah. but, I mean, like, for the Disney side of things, like, that's kind of how I see High School Musical mm. and things like that. Because at that time, when they were popular, I was already too old yeah. to appreciate them, and I just thought they were super cheesy. Yeah, yeah. And, but then the kids that are younger than me loved them, and now they're adults, and so there is this kind of revitalization. They did a remake, you know, kind of TV show on Disney Plus where they're doing High School Musical, the musical. The musical. I saw a few episodes of that, by yeah. the way. Yeah. You know, so it's so it is interesting to see these things kind of bounce around pop culture and kind of get a new life. And you know, like I said, I discovered it through TikTok. Yeah. I never would have watched High School Musical <laughs> probably in my life if it wasn't for some silly TikTok. That, so that was your first time watching it. That was, yeah, it was my first time watching High School mm. Musical. Now, of course, I was aware of it. Zac Efron, you know, I'm aware of yeah. him as a as a star. I know where he came from. I had seen the cheesy basketball bouncing. You got to get you, get you, get you, get you head in the game. I, so I was aware of its <laughs> pop culture significance, but I had never watched the movies until I saw TikToks with the songs. And then I was like, oh, maybe I'll give it a shot. So yeah. to be honest, it it kind of was what I expected. Super cheesy, bad acting, <laughs> everything you would expect. But because I kind of go in knowing that sure i still appreciated it and actually enjoyed hmm. for the most part enjoyed it yeah it's and it's almost intentionally cheesy like they're they were aware of the type of content they were making of how yeah. over the top and melodramatic it was nobody was like we're doing we're doing real subtlety realistic teenage life <laughs> i'm hillary duff and this is a subtle story of a girl's complex inner feelings dun, dun, dun. <laughs> that's not what a <laughs> Oh, man. But, oh, the 2000s, man. The early 2000s, looking at some of the, just, like, what was cool for kids to be wearing. Like, I can't believe that was that was my generation. <laughs> and then you, here's the craziest thing is there's a whole segment where they explore. They did a one-year-later look back, a dead serious look back with all the Disney Channel stars, like young Shia LaBeouf, young Hilary Duff. Um, and it was them reflecting on the one-year anniversary of 9-11. Oh, wow. As like buffer content. And it was sort of like trying to talk about kids, about your feelings and dealing in this new world. And it's just like, whew, that's the Disney Channel got really serious. But also like the documentarian realized that they also shot that on the same day that they did a lot of the bumpers for like, and you're watching Disney Channel. They're wearing the same outfits. Like up and down. <laughs> Cut yeah. to. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it's uh, I, I enjoyed it. Defunct Land's latest. I mean, he puts out like one video a year, one or two videos a year, and they're always pretty good. Um, but I think this is definitely his best stuff yet. But he normally focuses on more park stuff. 
Um, but here, Aaron, we should we should really jump in. That we kind of did an informal soft start to the podcast, but I have to. We got to talk about what the elephant in the room, or the, the the elephant that's left the room. I don't know how you how you go about this, but we got to talk about how terrible. I had this brilliant idea for a catchy like clickbaity title and segment on the last episode we did these many months ago since we had a chance to record. And it was In Defense. This is the title of the last episode, ladies and gentlemen, if you've forgotten. In Defense of Bob Chapek. Doesn't stop there. In parentheses, no, really. <laughs> that was my idea. I was like, that'll get him to download the podcast. Um, yeah, it's, that's your fault. <laughs> it's my fault. I take full ownership. The title, the title is a bit misleading. <laughs> I think, Listen. you know, there was some defense of, of Chapek probably in that conversation, but... You know, I think the the entire <laughs> gist of it wasn't necessarily a full on defense. And yes, I, I think we kind of knew. Well, and what what's funny well, is this is obviously leading to the big news story, right? Like, it really that's, is. That's yeah, where we're going he right. out. Uh, so that didn't age well at all. Is what I'm saying. Um, right. It's it, well. Let's let's be fair. The last our last episode was recorded in July. That's that's so yeah, it's that's been true. a while. Uh, that's true. It's been uh, a it, hot so it, minute. It, it had a little bit. Of, it had some legs for a bit. Where you know it was a, a kind of a hot take. Yeah, uh, to kind of defend some of the this, the difficulties, the timing of when he became the CEO, and kind of the you know the challenges of that, and like is he really as bad as everybody says? Mm. And I don't know that necessarily the the late news, the latest news that just came out with Iger's return. I don't know that I've changed my opinion about some of the things I've said. I said then. Yeah, uh, were you in the um in 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 the hallways of like. Uh, the the celebration, I guess, uh, throwing your confetti, um, cueing no. the dance music when when he was out. I, I have a feeling you were like you were just very. <laughs> I just like it's kind of business as usual. I don't yeah. think, you know, people like to look at these things in like very black and white ways. It's like, well, Chapek bad, Iger good. Iger comes in, he's going to fix everything. Yeah. And like suddenly prices are going to drop and Genie Plus is going to change. Die, yeah. You know, that's not going to happen. Like all the stuff that we've been frustrated about Disney recently, it's it's not going to change overnight. And in fact, it probably won't change very much at all. You know, we may see some minor changes. Mm. Um, Maybe you have some information I don't have and, you know, (laughs) rebuttal on this. But I think it's sometimes when you look at it with Iger coming in, it could be we're looking at it through rose colored glasses. 100%. Remembering the good times and being like, oh, well, he's he's just going to be the magic wand that fixes everything. I just don't think that's what's going to happen. Yeah, it's interesting because here's the difference between so last time that segment and again like it's been months and months ago at this point. So in July, I was breaking I was trying to use some some logic to like here here's why the Disney company financially is doing well and this is why they would extend his contract. And so that was the segment. And I broke down the the quarter two uh financial earnings and the parks had had not only rebounded, they were generating like over expectations in revenue. Um, and, and Disney plus even was doing pretty well. Like they, they beat subscriber expectations after the previous quarter at the first quarter, they'd lost some. And so they were, seemed to be recovering that more on that later. Um, but, uh, but that, uh, that seemed to be like, this is going to keep them afloat. Who knew that we were two earnings calls away and, and one bad earnings call away from, uh, Chapek getting the boot. And here's here's the thing is it's and, and the reason I think it's because it's such a big story is because it was very um dramatically uh, swift severe action from the board of directors booting him out really fast, which means that they were prepared to do this 
probably pretty well in advance of those poor earnings calls. And so that's just an example of a, of a guy who I don't think had the, uh, the, I don't think he ever had the buy-in from the board. Um, and also, I mean, and it's sucky timing. Come on, you become CEO within two months of COVID breaking out, and then that your, your legacy is being CEO over three years during the worst <laughs> pandemic in modern, you know, recent memory. So <laughs> I don't envy yeah. the guy. Um, and I can't. I don't know enough about the inner workings of, of big business to really speak intelligently about it anyways. You know, I don't know what uh, he did. Just pretend, though. You're just supposed to, like, pretend that yeah, you're an expert can, and just you know, be like, no, I, I, I know all about <laughs> What he did so bad or so good or, what you know, so yeah. I'm not necessarily – I'm not saying I'm a fan of his. I didn't like him kind of, like, personality-wise, like, when I'd see him speak and stuff. He definitely doesn't have the same kind of presence that presence. someone like Iger does. There you go, yeah. And, you know, so when you, you see someone like Iger coming back, and not that he ever really left, like he was still involved, yeah. at, you know, at Disney, but now he's coming back. I think they're trying to clean up their image a little bit. A hundred percent. And he's, he's a, an easy plug in for that. I think most people were surprised, right? Like, yeah, I was know, surprised people like people like us, like yeah. when we saw the news drop, it was kind of like, Oh, Chapix out kind of saw that coming. Iger's back in did not see that coming. Yeah. No, that's fair. Yeah, because I, I mean, I think he was certainly unpopular, but you and I have both talked about this throughout his tenure. He's been unpopular, certainly amongst the most hardcore Disney fandom, particularly online fandom. But like that's, that's not necessarily what's moved the needle financially, which is why I think you and I thought uh, maybe he's not maybe he's not super safe. He's not as popular, but certainly he seems to be like locked in like it, it just because touring plans or uh wdw info or like some of the top disney fan sites uh don't like you doesn't mean you're not going to be ceo <laughs> so i right. think it definitely yeah. there was a lot probably more underneath the surface um as we learned more and i think what it, it broke into the mainstream and, and by into the mainstream i also mean like into the board and high level leadership at disney his what had to make him go much more than i Realized. I think the I almost personally kind of dismissed a lot of the complaints of the more hardcore Disney online fan community, not because I didn't agree with them in large part, but just because I didn't think it moved the needle. Like I, Disney Genie Plus, while it sucks, it's uh, it's generating tons of money and it's making the park experience um, might be making the park experience worse for a lot of a whole segment of people but it's making them a lot more financially profitable same thing with reservations uh understanding like the margins and budgeting and being able to know where to put employees when and what parks are going to have what levels of crowds that's a huge deal in your profit margin and so it's a pain in the butt when you're trying to book a disney trip uh but again it's it's going to make them money so i i think the uh I actually think those sort of experiential, reputational image, you know, issues of the company that I just thought they didn't care about as much. Evidently, I think they care more about them than we realized, which I think is a good sign, maybe, question mark, hopefully. (laughs) Maybe. We'll see. In the end, they're trying to make money yeah, in whatever way they can, and they're going to keep doing that. And that's why I'm saying I'm not necessarily expecting a yeah. lot of these things to change. The re- it's not going to be this big reversal of everything that Chapik, everything that happened under Chapik is mm-hmm. not going to suddenly be reversed. Yeah. And, you know, that's, I wish the Disney ticket prices would drop, you know, but I don't think that that's going to happen. Yeah. And yeah. I, I do kind of wonder, like, give it six months from now, a year from now, whenever, when these things haven't changed, 
and it's still the same frustrations, are people going to turn on Iger then? Or has he get built up enough? I don't know. know he seems somehow, goodwill. somehow invincible. In a, yeah, in is a, he invincible where it's like, well, Chapik, these certain things happened under Chapik. Iger took back over, but those things still exist and, and, yeah. and we haven't really fixed it. You know, I don't know. I don't think people are going to turn on Iger the same way they did on Chapik. He does seem like somehow invincible to to like uh, the the level of criticism that most of the rest of the company uh, seems to be these days. Because Disney, listen, Disney in the last few years has landed at the center of um, sort of culture war and political to- hot topics. As um, you know, they, they've become like the subject. I'm sure uh, in ways they don't want to be of the the whole Reedy Creek Improvement District, the the uh, the Florida bill. The um, there's just been a lot that was saying. And I I sent you a screenshot that I saw on Twitter, which was just literally two completely different uh, takes. Both were like the first one was like, man, this is such a relief for the LGBTQ community that uh, I, I, I that uh, Iger's back and that um, JPEG is out. He handled the Florida bill horribly. This is a good sign. And finally, it's it's a sense that Disney is not just a cold corporation, but here's the concerns. We feel heard and we're ready for improvement with this re- with this relationship and this really important cultural issue. And, and right below it, tweet of like, and this is the best news ever because the woke Disney Corporation learned that, you know, go woke, go broke. And thank goodness that uh, the woke Bob Chapek is out of office and Bob Iger is going to bring us home. <laughs> just, you know, completely opposite hardcore political takes on a really like lightning rod um cultural issue and somehow bob Iger is like the popular savior in both scenarios and i don't know yeah, how he works. did yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's true people it just shows people don't have the information they think they have people don't yeah these hot takes really aren't that valuable yeah our, our hot takes aren't valuable no let's, like, but we know but we know this we t- we we just objectively <laughs> tell you that we don't know what we're right talking about. but it's just it's funny because yeah people see what they want to see and yeah if you want to like somebody and not like somebody you know whatever or you want to have one political view versus another and kind of see the evidence that backs up your side yeah um that's what you're gonna see and so, I'm I'm going to so I, I'm going to uh, tack a little left where you've tacked a little right here not not politically but just uh, wait, I was to say wait <laughs> not politically I should clarify <laughs> clarify uh, but no I I, I want to give you an alternative take on a slightly pro Iger take if if I were to have one um, again I'm, I'm not okay, the, I'm, I'm okay not the expert the take. I got I, nothing against Iger I, I I think you are likely right but I think there's potential uh, in terms of Bob Iger's policies and the the core Disney issues that have made it more anti-consumer lately aren't going to change but I think the the big internal thing that that hurt Chapek was I think they, Disney saw the money to be made especially in the early pandemic of uh, of Netflix and HBO and this very competitive streaming space. So they went, I mean, this isn't even JPEG. Iger went all in on Disney plus that was his, his big last effort. Um, but they spent so much freaking money at the beginning, early stages of the pandemic. And I'm stealing this take. This is from a, a New York times, uh, op-ed that, that kind of broke this down, but that those Q4 earnings, they were actually pretty good. Cause like the park, the park earnings were, were way up. 
um, trending in an even better direction. Good. Um, Disney Plus total subscribers beat expectations. They got 12 million subscribers in Q4. They're expecting like 10. But when they released their numbers and projections on uh, when when Disney Plus will finally actually turn a profit looking bad because they spent all of their money approximately exactly the numbers i'm running the numbers right now just got a little yeah. it's uh, all the money they spent all the money <laughs> on disney plus content and uh and how did they pay for that they fired all the cast members early in 2020 and that's the op-ed it's an opinion piece but it's essentially like it's signaled within the company culturally we don't value the cast members and we don't value the park experience even as restrictions have gone down we've kept these poor park experience and we haven't hired at the rate we should to keep the park experience where it should be and we spend all of our money trying to be the net beat netflix essentially and uh that's just not a cult, good cultural move for the company because it, it communicated that the creative side which is what disney is a creative company was devalued demoralized and that's why internally uh, Bob Iger had to come back and Chapek got the boot. It wasn't necessarily just because of the numbers, but it was reflective of his prioritization of uh, hunting down the big bucks in the streaming world uh, and trying to beat off the competition instead of just being like, let's let's actually double down and focus on the parks, which is what's actually generating revenue. <laughs> like all the revenue <laughs> for the entire company is being generated by the parks. That Genie Plus is keeping him alive. So <laughs> that's one of the wishes he's granting, I guess, for Disney. Um, I have a feeling that when Chapik came in, yeah, it wasn't like Chapik that was saying, we need to make Disney Plus beat Netflix. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it was direction that was given to him, and that's what he ran with, and that's what he tried to mm-hmm. make happen. And then... You know, once again, maybe in defense of, but I do kind of wonder sometimes if he's kind of being thrown under the bus a little bit. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, you know it. You know, you know. Bob Iger was in these meetings as they were building up Disney Plus, and they're like, guys, cable's dying, theaters dead, the pandemic has killed the theaters. I mean, I know he was there pre-pandemic, but theaters were already revenue was going down before the pandemic. So they're like, we gotta, we gotta get in on the streaming thing, guys. Everybody will go to the parks anyway. That'll keep making money. We just gotta, we just gotta be the net, next uh, Netflix. Um, and they're struggling with that. I think um, Disney Plus content has been very hit and miss. Not, not to bring up yeah. your, your next pet peeve that you mentioned before we did the show, <laughs> but I wasn't sure if you had any further thoughts on Iger. I just thought it was a good look on like realistically what his downfall was was internal cultural issues that come with when you don't prioritize spending money on your talent and your cast members and on the parks um i thought i I thought it was a reasonable take no no i and i think i think that like i said i think things might not change as quickly as people hope and we'll see how that goes but i tend to be someone who stays pretty realistic about things and i don't get super excited about extreme change that could potentially come um in a company like disney yeah i like disney i like the content they make i like the parks i like going to the parks and and so i'm a, I'm a disney fan and at the end of the day but when it comes to the business side of things you know they're really just trying to make money and i don't think they necessarily have your or my best interests at heart yeah when it comes down to it yeah that's fair that's so yeah my point being don't everybody get your hopes up that Iger is going to fix everything because <laughs> it's still the same company and they still have the same same end goals yeah no i i i think so and that's um at, at the end of the day it's a unique company i think disney has always been more successful at retaining 
Um, I think only because we as fans and consumers demanded of them. I don't think it's like some internal, like wonderful thing, but I do think that Disney has always somehow retained a, a greater focus and emphasis on, on, on the creative, uh, quality of their product. Um, so that, that, that does make them unique. I think just go to universal boom shots fired and you'll find that out. But, <laughs> but I think, but at the same time, it, that doesn't mean that the main guiding light is any different than any other massive corporation at this point. Right. Yeah. Um, well, so uh, talk to me about, uh, I guess, Disney con- Plus content in, in general. Uh, maybe we can just do a little uh, rapid fire catch up. I know your big thing was uh, Pinocchio came out. I saw, I am rarely like this. I'm rarely that person that sees a ter- uh, poor reviews and that's what gets me away from a movie because I usually like to see th- these things for myself. Like, uh, case in point, I know I love live action beauty and the beast and i think it's the best live action disney movie uh there shots fired uh remake i should specify um (laughs) but um in this case i was legit scared away i don't think there's another way of putting it from from the live action pinocchio and it had freaking tom hanks in it yeah i mean if tom hanks can't make something good (laughs) then you know it's bad and i did i did watch it yeah, and you did you did your due diligence. I'm always looking for a good movie that I can watch with my family. It's kind of become a thing now with streaming services and stuff. It used to be trying to go to the movie theater, mm. you know, go out for a weekend, go take my son to a movie. Now it's like, what's on streaming? You know, what can I watch is, you know, on Netflix or Disney Plus or whatever it happens to be. And so when a new movie like that comes out from Disney, that's I'm going to watch it probably because mm. that's that's a movie night with my family. And this one, like Pinocchio, is a story that the anim- even the animated version when it was out, I never really liked it that much as mm. a kid. It kind of freaked me out. Yeah, it's it a little creepy. <laughs> it's a super creepy kind of movie. Some creepy characters. So I would think that with a remake, essentially like a remake with that turns it into live action with someone like Tom Hanks, you know, maybe look at it from a different lens and say, Hey, how can we make this more palatable to the audiences? How can we maybe take out some of those kind of creepy elements, but no, they basically left it all in, maybe even not dialed it up a little bit as far as creepiness, because now it's not animated. Now it's live action, which kind of makes it even more creepy Mm. uh, when children are turning into donkeys and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, I was, I was absolutely disappointed. There was very little that I could say nice about that movie maybe the special effects were impressive but mm. uh tom hanks even his performance was borderline annoying uh he does because like, you know, he's, he's trying to do a character you know he's doing an accent the whole time he's doing a character he's not your mm. he's not tom hanks yeah which is what i expect when i see a tom hanks movie like you see a tom hanks movie he plays every year when i watch character. yeah every year when i watch polar express I want to see Tom Hanks in five different roles in the creepy oh, old 2006 <laughs> animation. Stuff. That's not a good, uh, you know. Let's let's pull out a good Tom Hanks movie. Polar Express is not. It's the be greatest work of that oh, man's man. career. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, Pinocchio, in my opinion, was just not very good, and I never really heard many people talk about it. Once it kind of it was that was I, probably the the most damning thing is it just kind of floated away. Yeah, kind of like Lady and the Tramp. Remember when Lady and the Tramp was one of the lead movies that came out with Disney Plus? I never watched that one either. I did watch that one, and it was there is definitely something to be said for some of these movies that go straight to Disney Plus. It's almost like yeah, they knew it. They're like, this isn't going to be theatrical worthy. Mm. Let's you know, Disney Plus is a better route, so it almost feels like a lower budget, lower effort. 
put yeah. into it. And that's kind of how I felt with Lady and the Tramp too, although I definitely didn't dislike you know, it. Yeah, because I, I don't think necessarily all of them have been bad, but the ones that have been gone straight to Disney Plus have been not marketed as much and have been forgotten more quickly. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of one that went straight to Disney Plus that I liked. Luca. I loved, I thought Luca was really good. Although I will say, I think that Luca was kind of an anomaly because it wasn't intended to go directly to Disney Plus. And oh. It was only because of the timing of it, because of pandemic, that it went to Disney Plus. But that That's was right. intended to be a theatrical release. Whereas yeah. I think Lady and the Tramp, Pinocchio, movies like that were always meant to go straight to Disney Plus. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense now. Yeah, I'm trying to think of any other kind of feature films that, that none of that could really come to mind if I'm honest. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there, we're probably not thinking of something and there's probably one that I'd be like, <laughs> Oh yeah, I really did like that one. But right now it's just off the top of my head. I can't think of well, any. The one I just watched uh, 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 is disenchanted. Um, uh, we watched you like that. Not really. <laughs> it yeah. It was okay. I mean, I didn't love enchanted. It was a fun movie for sure. Um, but it wasn't like one of my favorites, but this one was definitely like, um, a, a step down in terms of quality. Um, I think, I th- so I know you're a, you're kind of a frozen music fan. Yeah. The uh, music, that's really where there were, there were like, there's one catchy, good song, but there are like five numbers throughout this movie. And so I think well, I was the, gonna say, the music really I makes it breaks it. Adina Menzel being, you know, obviously oh, yeah. Elsa, it very much felt like they really wanted her to be a bigger part in this movie. Because when she was in the original Enchanted movie, I don't remember the timing around when that happened versus when Frozen came. But I think it was kind of before she became the big star that she is. Yeah. No, so I she kind so. of just played the other woman and didn't really have a big part. In fact, I don't know that she sings at all. In the first I don't movie. think she does. I honestly forgot she was in that first movie. Yeah. And so now that she's the huge star and Elsa and all that, they, it was almost like they were like, well, you know, let's, when we do the second movie, we can give her this big number and have suddenly have singing parts for her. And yeah, it felt a little forced I, as I was watching it. Even my wife was kind of making comments on it. Like, Oh, they really wanted to get Elsa back into this. You know? <laughs> uh, so it was, it was kind of enjoyable. I, I, I found moments of enjoyment with the, with disenchanted, but overall it, it, it also still felt like kind of a low budget, um, not up to snuff, not, not theatrical worthy. Yeah. I, I, I feel like, I feel like Disney plus could do, um, the Apple model more and do much less, but really high quality content. And we'd all stay subscribed. I don't think anybody's subscribing for the new season of Andor. I don't think anybody is making their decision to subscribe based on disenchanted coming out or something like that. I really feel like they could do few less content if they did like, one Star Wars series a year and one Marvel series a year that was really good that everybody was talking about. A, kind of like a, a the more recent examples of a Rings of Power or or Game of Thrones before it, uh, like that. Those are those are one big flagship show, uh, and I feel like they could follow that mo- model a lot more successfully. Um, I think there's three reasons why people subscribe, or three big things that people that that make people subscribe. I think it's you name two of them. Marvel, Marvel's got exclusive shows that are only coming to Disney Plus. Yep, there's a lot of them. If you want to keep up with the Marvel universe, you have to have Disney Plus. Yeah, fair. The other one is Star Wars. You know, yep, yep. you want to watch Mandalorian, you want to watch Boba Fett, Kenobi, Andor, other new stuff that's coming. You have to have Disney Plus. 
So I think a lot of subscribers are there for those two big franchises. The other thing is the the library of Disney movies. Yep. The historical, you know, library of not necessarily the new stuff that they're putting out, but the the whole backlog. Yep. Um, and I think that's that's the three things that people subscribe for. No one's subscribing because Pinocchio is coming to Disney Plus. <laughs> no one's subscribing because. Disney and you think about how much kind of... they've got to be spending on all of these original movies and series. It's... Yeah, and it's and I think I think these streaming services are kind of learning, and that's what's happened with Netflix. A lot of the shows getting canceled and stuff. It's mm. kind of like, all right, we're spending way too much on content. Yeah, where we already have like people aren't going to stop subscribing to your to Netflix yeah. or to Disney Plus. Because you're not constantly putting out original content. So I think that Netflix is already learning that. I think Disney's starting to learn it too. Yeah. Maybe kind of, you know, kind of toning that down a little bit. So maybe we'll see less of these straight to Disney Plus features, but I don't know. They sure are putting out a lot of them. Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers. Did we talk about that one? That was the greatest one. That was, <laughs> that <laughs> I was we, one, actually, I would say. I enjoyed that was, one. Was actually it was funny. <laughs> it was like really well cast, like perfectly cast. If you were going I feel to, like we talked about this. Yeah, we did have a brief set. This was briefly on the last one, uh, the last episode over the summer. But yeah, it was yeah. that was so well cast. Yeah, I think um, I yeah the reason I stay subscribed to Disney Plus is primarily Star Wars secondarily honestly i would say marvel now but i kind of dropped i dropped off of uh, of marvel um we we watched and loved wandavision me and savannah and that was a very well done series that was it captured if you're not a marvel nerd you will still appreciate that series uh which is why me and savannah enjoyed it but like when it came to loki i watched it savannah dropped off and then i had like just stopped um but we recently caught up on on miss marvel based on uh, your recommendation really uh, and we loved it so that was that was actually a lot of fun and really well done try to think of what else I feel like uh, we were catching up on yeah, I gotta catch I definitely got to watch the rest of Miss Marvel I mm-hmm. think I recommended it to you only based on watching the first two episodes oh <laughs> yeah it was pretty but, good um, but yeah I definitely need to catch up on that but yeah the Marvel series have been kind of hit and miss I think I enjoyed yeah. WandaVision Loki um the Winter Soldier show, not so, not as much. I absolutely loved Hawkeye. Oh yeah. And then I didn't really like Moon Knight. So, and what yeah. else? She Hulk. She Hulk was fun. But That's what we watched. Bizarre. We actually had fun watching She Hulk. Yeah, that yeah. was that was a fun show. So yeah. I think they've they've had enough hits with the Marvel stuff that they they're going to keep doing them. Yep. It's not like they all fly. The, the Guardians of the Galaxy them. Christmas special. Did you watch that? It's pretty good. It's pretty fun. I is a... so I will say this. I've gotten to a point of an of um, Drax annoys me now. Like <laughs> I used to really like his character. It's I'm I'm done with it now. Like it's kind of yeah. like Olaf. Like I could take him in small doses. There was um, a lot of Drax, Drax in that <laughs> in that hour. <laughs> Unless you're a huge Drax fan, you might find actually a, a good half of that special was the uh, Drax and Mantis spinoff buddy cop right. show. Yes. Was like Which most. Of- I don't find either of those two characters very intriguing. But I will say the last maybe 15 minutes or so, where they're back with kind of the main, yeah. some of the more main characters and um, Peter Quill and stuff like that stuff, I did really enjoy. But the kind of the the whole heist. Mm. scene with with the, those two characters 
uh, drug on a little bit too long for me. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I, I'm enjoying this. Uh, I will say this is an interesting conversation to have because we haven't talked Disney Plus content in so long. It's sort of interesting to sift through what kind of stuck with us and what sort of just floated away. Because like even as much as I've enjoyed Andor, which as a as a one time now retired Star Wars podcaster, like I I was glued to the TV every uh, every week when that would uh, debut. I was watching every episode. I, I enjoyed it, but like if I don't think anybody can con- deny it, it just didn't cut through the mainstream like the Mandalorian did, as an example. Um, yeah, we're it, doing like our rapid fire like catch up reviews <laughs> of all things Disney Plus. Yeah. Um, Andor was fantastic. Yeah, um, I loved it. I'm glad there's there's another season coming. We know that. I'm glad they're doing the whole. All right, two seasons. We already have we already have those mapped out, and we're done. You know. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the way to make a really successful television now is to kind of have an endpoint already planned. Yes. So I'm excited to see what they do with that second season. And, um, but yeah, you're right. It didn't really didn't get the same kind of mainstream popularity as something like Mandalorian did. Um, and I think we both know kind of the reasons behind that. You know? Sure. Yeah. And I think both of you, I think both of us would agree. I think it's an objectively better show, better written, uh, better characters, better characterization, I think anyway, but, um, I think it's a different style of show. Sure. And sure. So I think, I think for some people, it absolutely, if you're someone who's kind of more into, you know, a little bit more high end filmmaking and kind of appreciate. Yeah. If you want a Shakespearean monologue set within star Wars, you're going to love it. We will will give you two in one episode. (laughs) Yeah. If you can, if you appreciate that type of filmmaking, yeah, it's definitely, you would say it's better than Mandalorian. If you're someone who just likes the kind of popcorn fun of star Wars. Yeah. And you want to see some cool battles and cool fun characters and stuff. You probably like Mandalorian better. Yeah. Because Andor is a different style of storytelling that can maybe drag for certain people and kind of some people find it boring. Yeah. But for me, I like both types yeah. and I tend to like the Andor style a little more, really, in mm-hmm. kind of my film and TV now, maybe because I'm getting older. But um, we're yeah, getting so. old and boring, Aaron. That's what we're getting. We want oh, we want some real like soap opera style uh, left third camera shot character talks to character talks to character talks to character. A good five minute scene to chew on, and then we'll finally get move on to the next scene. Like there's a lot of that need, in, in Andor, so I get why some people called it boring. <laughs> yeah, I need a show that'll make me think and a show that'll make me cry. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think um, if I if I look at Andor, I it had a few flaws. I think on. Um, uh, th- how it, it wasn't the most effective threading the plot and characters from the beginning few episodes to the final episode, I think. Yeah. So to me, there wasn't as much impact with some of the characters that are all in that final episode. No spoilers here in case you haven't seen it. Um, because, but, and, and maybe that's just my bias because I most liked the characters in the uh, in the prison arc, and I, I love Andy Serkis as a character uh, actor, and I think he's the greatest character in the in the series easily, um, just as far as like how well he was written, um, and he has and his own sort of internal journey, just in a few episodes, uh, much more so honestly than Andor as the main character. Andor as the main character doesn't really have a lot of. Um, I, I, and maybe this is the thing that hopefully we get in season two, if you'll indulge me a brief, brief Star Wars discussion. I, I, what I'm hopeful, I don't think it was, it's not that the series sucked or anything, but I think a missing piece that there's an opportunity to fill that in in season two is Andor as the more proactive and less reactive uh, lead character. And I, and I think uh, Tony Gilroy, the showrunner, has talked about this in some interviews where he talks about Andor sort of becoming the leader within the rebellion that he will become. So I think... Um, 
there's some good opportunities because a lot of stuff like happens to him and he doesn't happen to a lot of stuff <laughs> throughout the yeah. uh, the series. Uh, whereas Kino Loy, myself... oh sorry, no, 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 I was gonna say I did find myself struggling with that, especially early in the season, uh, with not really liking Andor as a character. Yeah, and kind of being like, oh wow, did you really need to shoot that guy in the face? You know, that kind of reactions <laughs> where I'm just like, yeah. You know you're supposed to like him. You know he's the main character. He's who you're supposed to be rooting for. But I was having a hard time really kind yeah. of thinking, oh, this is like a really cool character that I want to root for. I was disagreeing with almost every decision he was making. Yeah. Uh, like you said, he seemed very reactionary, you know, almost like kind of stumbling into situations and not necessarily kind of leading situations. Now that does shift throughout the season a bit. That's true. Um, but even by the end, I, you do start to think, okay, I can see why he – because even in uh, Rogue One – He's not the main character, right? Like mm-hmm. he is a part of the kind of core cast, but he's definitely not the main character. Yeah. And so you can kind of start to see why a little bit. It's another great argument. I the amount of difference from a branding and marketing perspective, and I'm just a nerd about these things, but if they just called the series Star Wars Rebellion. You win. That's like the the level of it makes so much more sense. Everybody knows it's the rebellion in the empire. You think of the original trilogy, and you think about oh yeah, it must be the story of the birth of the rebellion, which it kind of is. But um, I I mean I I get it. it, it they are making Andor the main character, and he goes through. He's going through his own journey. But yeah, it's oof. It, it's because and it, again, I think a lot of the characters surrounding him are actually better written and more interesting <laughs> than the main character. And so I'm I'm only bringing up like the one thing I didn't like. I pretty much li- loved everything about the entire series, uh, from the, the acting, intrigue and the writing, the acting, mm. the cinematography is top notch. Yeah, and it's it's the only Star mm. Wars. The architectural that. design. Let's talk about that for. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> It's the only Star Wars show that I can watch and feel like, oh wow, like this can this is kind of at the same level as some of the higher produced shows out there. I can mm-hmm. put it at the same level. Now, will it win the awards the other shows are winning? Probably not. No, no. You're not going to see Andor winning all those awards, but the production level felt significantly different yeah. than even something like Mandalorian. Even when, just from casting perspective, like there wasn't one character where I was watching like, uh, you know, I'm not really. I watch Mandalorian. I can pick out three or four characters each episode where I'm like, oh, this person's not even that good of an actor. You know? It's yeah, kind of, it's yeah. Cool. No. Like, they, they got a cool costume on. But like, <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Well, and I think what what what's the television equivalent of uh, of being a page turner? Like, I, I'm sure there's like a phrase, but they're very uh, in Mandalorian, even in um, maybe less so Obi Wan, a little bit Obi Wan, certainly in in. Uh, book of boba fett there i was never really just like they're glued to the screen which is a very high right. compliment it's very rare uh for me to be just sucked in um and, and you know we watch these things in our homes and more distracting environments where you're not watching it at movie theater so you're it's just a, your phone. it's it's more of a challenge for something like a disney plus series to really like get a hundred percent of your attention and i gotta confess like that one monologue uh that luthan gives it was so out of left field just to have a dramatic character monologue in star wars that's first of all just such, that's out of 
character for what we're used to, first of all. And second of all, it's so brilliantly, I, I was actually turned off for the first minute. I'm like, what are you doing? This is a little self-indulgent, guys. It's Star Wars. This isn't like, you know, this isn't House of the Dragon where you're trying to be really dramatic. Come out, stop it. I know you've got Stellan Skarsgård. He's a great actor. And that's literally, I almost started that scene kind of willfully being antagonistic towards the writer, being like, you're overextending yourself. This is not allowed in Star Wars. It's supposed to be cheesy and bad acting. And we all know this. Get with the program. And then by the end of that scene where he goes, and I have to back away from Mike, he said, everything! <laughs> when he's just like yell, yelling that one line of, of uh, it, it, it just like, I was one. I was like, this is, this. I, I would never really, if you just bre- if you told me, hey, we're going to do this really dramatic monologue scene about the character's internal sacrifice, uh, I'd be like, come on, guys. This is too much. But by the end of that one, that one word, honestly, uh, everything when he yells it, it, it kind of won me over uh, to the character. So I'm, I'm a go. big Doctor Who fan, so yeah, um, the the uh, dramatic monologue is is like a key part of that show. So I, I absolutely yeah. love it when a character just kind of goes off uh, <laughs> a nice little monologue. So I very much appreciate it. Maybe my favorite scene from from the entire season. Is there another example? I, as the biggest Star Wars nerd here, ever, I'm trying to think of an example of a, a good character monologue. Uh, it's probably for. I, I feel like the Emperor had a few had a few good uh, lines strung together in Return of the Jedi, at a f- at a few uh, moments. Yeah, I mean, but... yeah, Star Wars is not written for monologues. Yeah, right. It's that's fair. Faster and more intense. Right. It's mm. that's the way it was directed, and so I think. Yeah. You know, the, it's not supposed to have those type of moments. I thought of you know what I I started uh, that was my exact thought, but you know my favorite piece of acting and dialogue. In, in the prequels, at least, is the, uh, you ever hear the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise? And that's the one time that I can think of off the top of my head, uh, certainly in the prequels, that it slows, that down, we, that it slows down for like a, just a character dialogue and then monologue. Um, yeah, no, that, yeah. that's it, probably... It's very, it's kind of... Um that is a different type of monologue where it's almost, you know, it's setting, it's giving you history. It's backstory. Yeah. Yeah. Some backstory and character motivation. Certainly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you have Obi-Wan telling Luke about his, his father and the clone wars Mm -hmm. and that. And and, that's uh, true. Hope. Yeah, you're right. We're there. Some of the greatest moments of star Wars are the rare exceptions where they they pause for for character monologue, but a lot of to, to your point, Aaron, whether it's Obi Wan in Return of the Jedi is like your sisters, um, or whether it's Obi Wan talking to young Luke about uh, his father, young pupil of mine named Darth Vader, or uh, or the famous like um, he could save others from death, but not himself. You know, so those are the three we've identified three big dialogue moments, but they're all sort of recounting. Uh, history that kind of leads to maybe a character motivation or something like that, but none of them are are, are sort of Luthen's uh, moment no, of identity nothing, crisis. Yeah, there's nothing like Luthen's monologue. There's some di- there's some back and forth dialogue that's a little more serious in Star Wars. You have the I mean the scene between Kylo Ren and uh, Han mm-hmm. Solo when Han Solo appears to him on that you know oh yep yeah whatever there, and he throws his lightsaber at the end. You know that's some nice little back and forth that slows things down a little bit. But yeah, just having a straight up monologue kind of you know emotional 
in inner, you know, his inner thoughts coming out. That's a type of moment that you don't usually get in Star Wars, but it works for this specific show. Now, if they tried to pull that off in in Mandalorian, hmm. I don't know if it would work. I don't think it would. It's a different no, style of no, show. No, I don't think it would. I don't think it should either. It, 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 or if you even have an actor that can pull that off. I mean, there's not that many actors that can pull that that's off true. convincingly. And where at the end of it, you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, you did really sacrifice yeah. everything. <laughs> like, no, like, in fact, right. any of the other monologue or uh, extended dialogue moments we mentioned were all like the best actors in Star Wars. It's Ian McDermott. And then it was, uh, oh, why am I blanking on uh, Ben Kenobi? Uh, Alec Guinness. It's either Alec Guinness, you know, the greatest, probably most uh, proficient British actor of the original trilogy with a giant, you know, archive of classic films behind him uh, or Ian McDermott. Like a, We're talking so much Star Wars. That I know. I need to calm down. Calm down. <laughs> no, I know all of all of you guys, all of my Star Wars report refugees who come who've come over to Mouse and Castle. All seven of you are loving this segment. So, um, well, speaking of Lucasfilm Productions, mm-hmm. if we're going to go through our like rapid fire Disney, yeah, plus, yeah, let's let's keep it rolling. Have you uh, checked out Willow? I have not. I have not. I know it just you came out the original Willow. No, mm-mm, that one okay. passed me by. Have you? Have you? Have you seen it yet? I've seen some I buzz. Did watch. So I think I think they put out two episodes. Okay. So far, um, it's interesting. I don't know if I like it yet. I haven't decided. Mm. I the original Willow is something I didn't. I don't even know when it first came out. It's the eighties sometime. The 80s. Some, yeah, I yeah, think eighty eight. So I would have been. I would have been relatively young. I don't think I even watched it when it first came out. I think I watched it later as an adult, um, and it already felt pretty dated by the time I got around to it. Mm. And so I don't have a, a a nostalgia for Willow like yeah. some people in my generation do. I don't. How many people do have nostalgia for for Willow? Can can we be real for a it's, second? Like, it's, it's definitely one of those kind of. It's warp secure, um, right? Is that fair? Classics, yeah. It's it's not. It wasn't a big huge hit for sure. Yeah, I think it, it's it's got a bit of a, a cult kind of classic feeling to it, where you know, there's definitely people who fondly remember it, and I guess it was popular enough that disney thought that the a series based on it was was worthy mm. um but after watching the first two episodes it kind of struggles w- with some of the things that we were talking about feeling a little more low budget hmm. especially when you're just getting off of watching like house of the dragon and Rings yeah of Power oh, i'm and just you, dude i'm by the way i've i've almost it. done i've been binge watching house of the dragon yeah it's, it's, i mean I, it's good yeah, it's pretty I'm good a big, yeah it, i'm a big game of thrones fan and yeah and, I really enjoyed House of the Dragon. It actually got me to start reading through the books again. But yeah, so when you're comparing it side by side, when you have these big fantasy shows that are coming out, and so you have Amazon's is Ring of Power, yeah, and HBO's is uh, you know House of the Dragon. Disney Plus answer to that with their new fantasy series is Willow, and it's like it just doesn't kind of stand on the same level. Hmm. I can see it being a fun show. They've introduced some pretty fun characters and. I watched it with my son and he seemed to enjoy it. So I think I will continue to watch it and kind of see how it goes. But it's definitely not kind of like blowing me away. Like, oh, wow, that's going to be Disney's kind of entry into the fantasy mm. world with, with a new show. Um, yeah. Warwick Davis is always nice to see. Yep. No, that, 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 is, listen, he's a busy man. He, he stays actively employed uh, with all the various franchises and stuff that he's been involved with over the years. 
Um, we did a, a rewatch, uh, not specifically Disney, but reminded me with Warwick Davis. He, uh, a complete rewatch of every single Harry Potter movie over the Thanksgiving weekend, mostly because we were homesick and we had nothing else to do, but it was, it was, uh, it was a good time. It was a good time. Warwick Davis, he's been in everything. It feels like he's like seven characters in that, in those movies. Yes. Yeah. We, I recently watched, I didn't watch all of them, but my son had kind of gotten caught up to a point where he had, he had only not seen the last two, I think. Oh, of Harry Potter. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so I had got to watch those with him within the past month or so. Um, we watched them together, and it was his first time seeing it. So it was always kind of fun watching yeah. things with your kids for the first time. So uh, he he's still relatively young for those movies. You know, he's a 10-year-old. Yeah, I was going to so say, the, yeah, Deathly Hallows is a pretty um, pretty rough, rough one. It gets pretty dark yeah, pretty violent. And I had kind of forgotten some areas where I was like, ooh, this might be a little – he might not be able to sleep tonight after watching some of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I'll, honestly, I think like um, which was it? I think Half Blood Prince. We are really taking left turns here on the I topics. Know, we're going I, I don't care. The place. But, that, but the, which Disney one is the like, what are you talking w- about? The concept of the um, Horcrux is actually explored in depth with the. Uh, oh, I'm so bad with the various professors. Um, oh, I think it's Half Blood Prince. Honestly. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I think it's Half Blood Prince when they first kind of explore that that entire concept. It's a, and it's a very like uh, dark, but I think very compelling. It's honestly to me, it's the most com- compelling part of the story because I'm uh, last year I started a read through of the books, um, and then uh, just picked them up again over, while I was on on some leave and had some more time to read. So I'm now well into Deathly Hallows. I'm almost. I'm finally. It's taken me like over a year of picking them up and putting them down. Um, but I'm finally almost done actually reading all the books for the first time. That's pretty good stuff. Pretty good stuff. Yeah. Uh, up, coming up on our Mouse and Castle spinoff Harry <laughs> Potter series. <laughs> we just become, we could just become like all the other Disney podcasters and YouTubers as they got sick of Bob Chapek and just started covering Universal and, and, and Harry Potter a lot more. <laughs> That's what we should do. We can just. Well, I did go to, so maybe worth talking about. I did go to Universal. Uh, in November, oh, at the beginning of I guess we're just we're just in the beginning of December, so it was a month ago. Okay, um, I was actually at Universal Studios for the first time since 2018. I think was the last time I was there. Oh wow! So and then I went in 2018, and I did not really enjoy it that much at all. Yeah, uh, your the pe- Harry Potter stuff is kind of the standout, but I sure. was even kind of underwhelmed by some of that. Uh, I will say. I went into it differently this time with some different friends and kind of um, more of a focus on in trying to have a good time. And um, it was a, it was a very good time Mm. and I didn't, I didn't see as big of a gap as I used to see between the Disney parks and universal. There's still a gap in my opinion. I think Disney is still stands above, but um, I feel like that gap is closing and uh, the, the Hagrid's, ride whatever it's called magical creatures or whatever yeah yeah ride some of the stuff that they did with that and the creativity there's not any ride at disney that's doing that yeah so it was definitely something where i was like okay you know they are well they got a lot of ex-imagineers to work on on the harry potter rides as i understand um 
So yeah, listen, some yeah. good old fa- uh, old fashioned talent poaching will get you there. You just gotta <laughs> get the right people. No, I um because I went there for the first time right before we <clears throat> left last spring to go overseas. So we did a, a just a day at Universal, and it was a very informal kind of last minute thing that we did that I did with Savannah and her family, and um, they enjoyed it. They all they all love Harry Potter, but like it we we went there. We didn't have any special passes. All the lines were crazy usually upwards of two hours one of the primary rides was closed so all those lines was were filtering through but so we didn't even do a single ride but we just walked around and uh had a butterbeer and uh bought bought some chocolate frogs and wandered through Diagon Alley and then uh, Nocturne Alley. Nocturne Alley actually thought was the kind of coolest from a design perspective. Um, so, and even that yeah. was a, it was a blast. I thought it, to me, all of the Harry Potter stuff in contrast to the rest of the universal parks, the Harry Potter stuff definitely stands tall and I would square it against pretty much any themed land at Disney, especially when it comes to like the more modern IP, like whether it's avatar or galaxy's edge, I think it, it, it stands right up there. Yes, I agree. And I mean, for people that say the Harry Potter stuff is better than everything that Disney's done or better than galaxy's edge, I would, I wouldn't go that far. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually think galaxy's edge kind of still edges it out in my opinion even from from a from an attractions or theming perspective or both i think from more from an uh, immersion theming perspective okay. than attractions um and i you know i will say that the two of the major attractions at the harry potter stuff are rides i don't like to ride because they make me nauseous ah. and so that's probably not giving it a fair shake because if you like those rides then there's definitely more to do you know a total number of rides um, but it's two separate lands, essentially the, the Harry Potter stuff in two separate parks. So you have to take that into consideration. Yes. But yes. They, I, you know, for me walking around a star Wars planet with like stormtroopers and Chewbacca and the full size, like millennium Falcon, mm. you know, that just, yeah, that's gonna be hard to top for, for any other franchise. And that's what they were trying. What, that was the main kind of, um, guiding light for galaxy's edge was immersion. That's what they talked about the whole time going into it. And I think, honestly, they largely succeeded from a design perspective. From an experience perspective, we've talked about some of the shortcomings that they could uh, probably fill in over time. And I've seen more of that. I feel like I've seen more people posting about some of the the data pad games that you can play. I feel like more people have been doing that just when I see it on social media, maybe just because I'm paying uh, they, attention more. Yeah, they do have that new Bounty Hunter. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking play. about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, with the new Magic Bands. Of course, me being me, I can't go to Disney World and not get a new Magic Band. And so when <laughs> nice. I was just there, I had to try the Magic Band Plus. Okay. Is that what they call it? Yeah, I think so. Sounds it? right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the one that lights up when you're at the fireworks show. But um, I had to try it out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's interesting because it re- you kind of have to set it up when you first buy it. You have to link it and you have to kind of set it up and sync through like Bluetooth and mm-hmm. Then you have to make sure it's charged, and sometimes when you buy it, it's not charged. So you have to have, you know, it comes with a charging cable. I mean, you, our magic bands are getting so advanced that they need to be charged. <laughs> uh, so, I, but I did through the whole process. Is this thing like a hundred dollars? Is it like it was like sixty bucks? Yeah, for the. Oh, I bet it yeah. might have been a little more expensive because of the one I got. But yeah, I think the minimum price for them is like fifty or forty, maybe forty-five. Yeah, but yeah, so. And in the end, was it worth it? Probably not. The, there wasn't a lot. I could did you go to a show though? Did you get to like be a part no, of the I show? I did see it flashing while I was at the Epcot, you know, uh, 
uh, show, but it does. It's not that impressive yet. Now, is there potential with what they could do with it and things you can interact with in the parks, kind of like they do with Harry Potter and the wands and all mm-hmm. that? Yep, yep. Absolutely. I think that they're kind of. It's just the beginning. They're scratching the surface of what can be done with this type of technology. But initially, it wasn't super impressive. Uh, but yeah. the bounty hunt thing was kind of fun. It was a I, cool little area. Here's a here's a here's a conspiracy theory for you. I think a lot of the design for the um, the boutique uh, cast member interactions uh, found in the Star Wars hotel are, are sort of a testing ground for the kind of things that they want you to be able to experience. That you need a wristband or a tracker to be able to sort of interact with these various attractions, so they know what team you're on if it's like a scavenger hunt or a bounty hunter you know kind of thing so i think that that honestly i think is a testing ground for that although that's a whole nother kind of series of headlines that came out um since we're just riffing is is the whole um uh star wars hotel galactic star cruiser i'm always terrible with the name galactic star cruiser the halcyon i know what it's called but they never call it the halcyon in marketing anymore someone was like guys maybe don't call it the halcyon nobody knows what that is you didn't read the Han Solo Princess I did, Leia. I did not book. read about their honeymoon on the Halcyon. <laughs> I read it. If you, if you want a, we a know review you. of that book, go check out my podcast, Star Wars Bookworms. There it is. There it is. Nice plug. No, I, I, I don't. I don't doubt you for a minute. But I will say, I, it sounds like maybe a, a, as far as a big giant Star Wars nerd who sometimes balks at the crazy level of pricing that they announced. Uh, sounds like they're doing more promotions, more uh, DVC uh, points uh, made available to book uh, various discounted version of voyages on the old Halcyon. So maybe I don't. I'm not one of these people that celebrates like financial people like financial box office numbers or performance of attractions or parks dipping or falling below expectations. It's like a, it's like a sport sporting event at this point. I feel like people are rooting for and against that. I'm not going to pull that, pull that, but I do think um, it's a sign that maybe I'll finally be able to afford uh, galactic star cruiser sooner, sooner than I thought, which I thought might be like at least five or 10 years from now. And then I'll finally go, um, but who knows? Maybe they'll uh, make it affordable enough and have run some promotions to where you, me, and William will all go uh, abandon yeah. our wives and go hang, hang out of experience it. I would really love to experience it. Yeah. I do wonder the sustainability of it. Yeah. It just hasn't It hasn't felt like it's gotten the audience that they were hoping to get. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's like doom and gloom, like uh, they're going to shut the whole thing down, but... They'll, they'll yeah, have to I, I, adjust the business model, I think, at the very least, some way. I yeah. don't know how, what that'll look like. Yeah, if they're going to – the sad thing is what they probably will end up having to do is to make it more affordable so they can get more people to go is they're going to have to lower the experience. It's not going to mm. be that mm. kind of high-level interaction that I think from what I heard from people that have done it, they yeah. all raved about. Like I don't know that I've heard anyone that, that went on the experience that was like, oh, that was really lame. You know, most most of the people that have have gone on the experience have said, yeah, it's expensive, but man, it's super interactive. It's fun, you know, and so I want to experience that that experience mm. and not like the watered down version I'm, five years from now. Yeah, I'm surprised to hear you say that because when we first discussed this, I think and maybe I'm misattributing or misremembering some of our early conversations, but like the whole like intense level of interaction was something that you thought may not be enjoyable. 
Uh, yes. Originally, I, I remember we. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I did say that. I did say it makes me nervous, mm -hmm. and it still would probably give me anxiety. You know, like, <laughs> oh crap, I got to talk to this person. But um, I still want to experience it, even if it's like watching other people do it. Like, I could see you, me, and William going. Mm -hmm. And letting you guys do all the talking, you know, like I'll I'll stand back and kind of watch you guys, but I'll still I still like to I still want to experience it because it just seems like a really unique experience for a big Star Wars fan, and mm -hmm. I think we both consider ourselves big Star Wars fans. Yeah. So it's almost like if you're a giant Star Wars fan and you have the opportunity to kind of go on this kind of immersive experience where you're on a you know galactic star cruiser with characters <laughs> from that universe that you can interact with, like. You almost have to do that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So no, I think um it's definitely uh bumped up on my sort of like mental timeline of things that I would like to do uh in the near term, like over the next few years. Because and a lot of, of that, maybe this is a good way to cap the cap the show because we've already hit right over an hour. So I guess we should we should probably I guess we have a few like five months worth of missed podcasts to make up for. But um I will say that that's a big part of like um I know where I'm getting stationed next, which is, is new from the last time I recorded, uh, which is back in uh, back in Georgia, which is uh, actually a fair easy drive. So not only will I have easier access to the parks by one being on that side of the globe, <laughs> which will be slightly easier, uh, but two actually being uh, in the southeast, so it'll be I'll be closer to Disney World, that's for sure, which I think will be uh, nice. And then. Um, and then I think more near term, uh, I have I've had a decent amount of work tra work travel related in the Indo Pacific uh, <laughs> since I've been stationed here uh, in Korea, and I think um, the opportunity to actually hit one of the Disney parks might be there. We're working on details, but we might who knows? Maybe we'll get a little recording of a Mouse and Castle from Disneyland if I end up back in the states in the next few weeks. So something else we're working. So I think. Um, slightly more regular just basically on on sort of deployment uh ops tempo things from the old real you know the real grown-up jobs that i try not to think about when i'm talking about disney stuff um <laughs> we'll we'll make it more available to record more regularly uh in the future you know it's fam famous last words but uh hopefully we'll we'll keep these things rolling and certainly once we're back in remotely similar time zones uh we'll be able to do that too but uh aaron any parting shots you want to go to uh, if we go to we got to do california adventure if we do disneyland is basically what i'm saying uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. If we, if we're out there, if we, if we make that California trip, we, you got to do both. You can't just go out there and do one. You can't just do <laughs> Disneyland. You got to do, you got to do Disneyland park. You got to do California adventure. Yeah. That's fair. Um, yeah. And I Deal. think I haven't, when's the last time you and I both did California adventure? It was probably back when we did that Christmas festival. Yeah. Which was uh, when originally when galaxy's edge opened, right? Yeah. Yeah, I want to say. Yeah. That sounds right. You're right. Um, that, yeah, the Galaxy's Edge opening was when we were last there. So I have not seen Avengers Campus. You know, I haven't seen... Oh, a, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, you got to go. Cause, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, that's the thing about the California parks. For people, especially that live on the East Coast, that go to Disney World all the time. And, and it's like, oh, well, California parks, I don't really go there. It's too far away. And yeah, yeah I can pretty much do all that same stuff here. There's there is so many other things that you can do at the California parks, and I would say even some of the experiences are are better, um, and some of the rides that they have that are very unique to Disneyland. That I would say any Disney parks fan that hasn't been out there yet should yeah. try to to make a trip out there at some for point sure because the Avengers Campus alone is such a cool addition 
to those parks and it's a it's just a really cool area to walk around and stuff so yeah i i hope you and i get to do that together yeah sooner rather than later because i'd love to experience that stuff with you yeah yeah it's been a it's been a hot minute since i've been to uh disneyland i guess so uh we'll we'll see if we can make it happen but regardless uh we'll be back recording more mouse and castle uh as as life and time zones allow uh aaron any parting shots uh, for the folks no, the only other thing that we didn't discuss on kind of our rapid fire was uh, Disney Plus is actually getting Doctor Who. Wait, what? Which is kind of a big deal. Um, and maybe we could save that for a future topic. But hmm. yeah, they got the BBC and, and Disney are partnering up and uh, future seasons of Doctor Who will be exclusive to Disney Plus. Um, we we and, made this joke at one point of like Disney buying the last thing you love. You <laughs> like, yeah, what else is there for Disney to buy? You know, that, and we kind of talked about, you know, Doctor Who on that list. So um, now it's different than other. It, they didn't buy Doctor Who like something like they bought Star Wars or they bought Marvel. Yeah, this is more of a partnership sure, you know, sure. Like for a streaming service. Uh, but still, it's an interesting partnership. And there's a lot of speculation about what that could mean for the show, because Doctor Who although popular is definitely kind of more of a niche thing yeah, yeah. when it comes to the franchises and kind of on the lower end, you know, when you compare it to the big things like Marvel and Harry Potter and all of that stuff. So is Disney suddenly's involvement going to be able to raise the status of that television show? So mm. um, yeah, as a big Doctor Who fan, also if you like Doctor Who, you can listen to my other podcast, Bad Wolf Radio. Uh, listen, you're the plug-in I, machine today. I know. I don't I have anything else to plug anymore, so I just, I, somebody's got to do it. <laughs> So yeah, I, that that's that was some kind of interesting news, and um, yeah, I'm excited to see where it all goes. Yeah, well, I'll uh, yeah, I'll say I, I don't really have any plugs anymore. Although I, well, you know, I'll, I'll toss this one, this one out there. Um, uh, after a, a, a long listen, after a long fast from from Twitter, um, I, I have rejoined. I see. Listen, I quit this Twitter. This is the time you rejoined. <laughs> this listen, I know of all the times, right? Uh, I, Twitter exodus, I quit join. Twitter long before it was uh, it was cool, and <laughs> which is it is very now. So you can follow at the Riley guy there and Instagram these days, where um, I try to post about uh, Air Force, Disney, and Star Wars misadventures uh as, as as we go as we go along so uh you can find stuff there uh, it, you like you can find find my breakdown and reaction to the brand new uh northrop grummer b21 raider bomber it's pretty freaking cool if you're Sounds a, interesting if you're a nerd on that kind of stuff um <laughs> listen yeah the, the the good old military industrial complex is alive and well and you can go see a highly produced Tony Stark style unveiling because they, they they definitely took their inspiration from the Marvel Cinematic Universe when they unveiled the new weapon system. And they're like, this is the B-21 Raider. It is both a Dorito chip and a spaceship at the same time. That's what it looks like. Um, so that's the kind <laughs> of stuff. Me, you have to send me some links. <laughs> that's the kind of stuff I'm nerding out on on, on my social media. But until next time, guys, thanks for uh, listening to the Mouse and Castle podcast, and we'll catch you real soon uh, well here in the mouse and castle boom that's the show sir i'm gonna pause my uh, stop my audition